I think that PIs would benefit from having some experience outside academia because at the end of the day, most of their work is not necessarily the science. It's more about how to manage a small organization that does science. They might not even be the experts that their students need them to be in terms of the scientific questions and answers. It's all about being a good manager, how to facilitate, how to develop the students and the researchers that you manage. Hi there, welcome back for another Macademia podcast episode. Myself, Oferizal Barnea and Elena Iskovic get together with fascinating people to explore different ways science and scientific careers can be developed outside of academia. Before we introduce our guest for today, we want to thank you, yeah, you, that join our Macademia group on Facebook, follow our account at Macademia P on Twitter, rated our little project, liked our work, or shared it with a friend or colleague. This, aside from motivating us, support others to join this important conversation as we explore those very different ways of how science is much more than just academia. And I want to welcome Dr. Adil Avi. Adil is a great scientist and an all-around guy. We say in Hebrew, mensch. And in the last year or he had been using his hard-earned skill set in enabling great science at Riffin, which we will hear all about. Sit back and let us dive right into it. Hi, Adi and Elena. Hi, Elena. Hi, Ophel. Hi, Adi. Great to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, we're very happy for the opportunity to talk to you, Adi. Uh, just full disclosure, we're friends from all of us from a different uh, organization. We met and we will touch based on that later on. But start things off. Adi, give us your elevator pitch. Who are you? What are you doing today? So I'm a scientist. I currently work for Riffin, which is a startup company located in Oakland, California. Riffin is a software company, which is not the natural place you would find a biologist. But Riffin Riffin's product is called Nexus, which is a data management software for mostly biology companies, but not only. So as a scientist there, I work and help companies implement our system. So there's a great benefit to have a scientist on the team, someone who can speak the language of our clients and help them understand how to use the system to really benefit and improve their business and their research. So that's what I'm doing today. Uh, that sounds very cool. So in the room, how many biologists are you are there? We are I think seven at the moment out of a company of almost 60. Oh, cool. That must be a very cool conversation to have uh, with uh, software engineers. Yeah. Yes, it's very different. The language is different. It's all very different. But that's a part of the magic. It's uh, learning how to communicate with other people and from other disciplines. Before that, so we, we um, as Ofer said, we, we met at Science Abroad. Um, and what we were mainly sort of working on together is try to figure out how to introduce postdocs or scientists into, um, into the industry. And uh, I think we were all sort of realizing that it's, it's an important um, avenue for, for postdocs at least to consider, uh, but it was sort of fighting walls. Um, and not many sort of agreed with us that this is the right way to do during uh, your postdoc. So you um, tell us a little bit about sort of the journey um, from being a scientist, a PhD in Israel to uh, where you are today. So you had an intermediate P postdoc and another company you worked at, right? So after my, or during my postdoc, I already started looking around for other opportunities because I wasn't convinced that I want to stay in academia. I knew that there's good science done outside academia and I wanted to explore just what are the options, not necessarily work in other places. So during uh, my postdoc, um, I started attending meetings. For example, one of them is called Beyond Academia, which is an organization that provides the opportunity to explore and to meet people from the industry, just to explore what are the different roles that are available for us as scientists. And one of those meetings was a two-day conference here in Berkeley, California. And that was a great opportunity just to find out what's out there, what's available to us. 
And then another meetup that I attended uh, was given by Toby Friedman. She's a career counselor. And that one, that meeting really opened my eyes to the great, the vast availability of how many different roles there are for scientists and what are the different options that we have out there. And that made me even look even deeper at what are the options. Do you remember, uh, sorry, uh, do you remember uh, sort of what are the options that sort of surprised you, like that you were not expecting? Even, for example, scientists working at financing, Mostly, oh, and yeah, one of the other things actually was uh, management consulting. That was something I, would, I never thought about. And I took that one and really thought about it deeply and decided I want to try that route. So that's something I never considered before that. So apparently, many companies would like to hire scientists just because the way, as scientists, the way we think, they're not necessarily interested in our knowledge. It's just more of the soft skills that we have, our critical thinking capabilities, the way we approach problems and how we dive into it. So after going to that meeting, I decided, you know what? I want to be a management consultant. I want to try and reach one of the top three management consulting firms in the world. So uh, you know, either McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, or Bain. And I followed that path and I started reading books. I attended the... Yeah, there's a club that prepares students for the case interview, the well-known case interview. Yep. <laughs> and that was actually awesome. That was a really good experience. And I recommend any scientist to attend those clubs if they have any other university. I learned a lot by attending those meetings. And just, actually, just to put, just to put yeah. it into context, you were, like a, you were an actively researching postdoc at yes. UC Berkeley that time. Exactly. Yeah, I was, I think, in my... About a year and a half in into my postdoc. And I decided that I want to try that route. And I attended those meetings. I applied for the companies. I actually got an interview at McKinsey. That went great. They even flew me out to a second interview in New York, which is really awesome to fly out on the, with a company credit card. And I'm flying away to somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back in a different life. But even though I didn't get the job, just the experience itself was amazing. And I think if any, everyone could have that opportunity and try that out, it taught me a lot, mainly about communication skills and how to communicate your research and how to communicate with other people who are not necessarily scientists. That's the most important thing I learned out of this experience. So if you can get your hands on the book about case study, case interviews, if you could go out and practice with other people, do it. That's uh, that's my tip. So you you think your let's say your seminars in the group that in the scientific group at Berkeley, after you dove into this management consultant, you think that your seminar went differently? You were structuring them differently. You presented your results in a different, slightly different way. Um, I'm not sure because when you're communicating with other scientists, you have this template that you're following very often and that doesn't change that much. But when you communicate with non-scientists, for example, in a company with stakeholders, with software engineers, for example, you have to communicate in a different way and you learn how to explain yourself different, how to construct your thoughts, how to construct your claims or what you want, what your point is in a different way. And how do you communicate that to other people? That changed, I think, to the better. Knowing how to change your communication skills or adjust them, that's not just important when you transition. You do this like very, very clear, clear transitioning from academia to industry, but within every so within every organization. I, I really, I really wanna like pick into this because it's it's really intrigues me as I, fi- I think that I communicate poorly to non-scientists. Give us an example of something, similar idea, and like a way you would communicate it to fellow peers or like scientists from your group or someone from, from, your, from the current company. So for example, one thing I learned during those interviews is when you communicate your idea and you have some assumptions that you're making, you have to state those in a very clear way at the beginning. You have to explain your train of thought, how you reach from point A to point B in a very clear way. Whereas if you're giving a talk to your peers in the lab, there's a very good chance that they already 
know your assumptions because they have the same knowledge base. So you don't have to explain yourself that much as you would with other people. So I think that's one distinction that you could easily make. It's just your whole, I think your whole vibe is different. I think that the way you, the, your posture, the way you talk, the way you address the room is different. It's kind of like when you give a talk at a large conference and you're not really sure who's the audience and who's going to be listened. Like one of those conferences that's not very specific to your field, but you have to address it in a way that everyone would still understand. You do it in a different way. There's a somewhat different approach to it. I think it's hard to explain that or uh, it's hard for me to put it in the right words, but it just feels different. Another thing that I really liked about those interviews is how they're conducted, which is you're sitting in front of the interviewer, but you have a piece of paper so you can communicate verbally, but also in a written way. You show them the, your train of thought, the process of how you're thinking. And then it's not just the person in front of you asking you questions, you're also asking questions back. It's like working with a teammate where the both of you are discussing the problem. The other person has more information, of course, because he's running or she's running the interview, but you can still ask questions and they will give you information if they have it. So it's more of a collaboration rather than just a one-way interview. So it's very dynamic and really fun, although it could be stressing at times because you're still being interviewed, but it's also fun. I, I really enjoyed the experience of doing that interview. Yeah, I know that in those interviews, if you didn't start by asking at least a few questions to realize what the actual problem is and just jump to the conclusion that you, you think you understand, you already lost points because there's no chance that you understand the whole problem just from listening, whatever description that was. And it served me really well in my current role and current job. When I speak, when I talk to a customer, and they, have, they explain to me their problem and what we need to do in this project, then the first question would be, I would read back to them whatever I think I understood and ask them, is this correct? Did I get the problem right? Which is exactly like I had in my interview. But it's very, very helpful, very applicable. Absolutely. So what else did you do during your uh, postdoc that sort of prepared you to the next step? So I also took an opportunity that was presented by the postdoc association at UC Berkeley, and which was to, they offered postdocs to volunteer in startups at Skydeck, which is the UC Berkeley incubator. Mm-hmm. As a, a volunteer, I volunteered at a company called Awakens. I think they renamed themselves later, but that was a small startup. There were only, I think, eight people at the time, and I joined in as a business-to-business development consultant because I had some experience in that field uh, before, before my postdoc, actually, as a freelancer. But specifically, they were working around next-generation sequencing, that vertical, and I had some experience in that from my postdoc where I worked on metagenomics. Actually, when I went there, I asked my supervisor for her approval because I'm taking time from research, of course. So she wasn't very happy about it, but she was willing to give me that time because she understood that it's something that's important to me. So maybe that's a good lesson. Always you know, be transparent with your supervisor and not necessarily having their blessing, but at least get their approval. So yeah. I joined in as a volunteer and that was an interesting experience because that was my, the first time that I had any experience with a startup, which has a different vibe, a different organizational culture attending the meetings, working with their CEO, with their business development team. And it was a good experience, which lasted about six months during that uh, volunteering time. And another great thing that came out of it is that I could put their name on my CV as a volunteering experience, which of course helped my CV to look a bit better uh, than it was before. Yeah, so, and as a uh, consultant, right? And yeah, yeah, as a B- B2B development consultant which looks great on the CV. I'm sure it does. So what was your, so you said that, so you obviously, so you're from Israel, so you you came here to Berkeley um, to do a postdoc. So was it during your time um, 
during the postdoc that you realized that you're not going to go the academic route or did you know in advance? I was never really settled with the idea that I will stay in academia. I would have been happy if I would, but I was also happy not to. I always felt that there's good science that's been done outside academia. There are so many options out there. Many things interested me. So I was really open to the idea that I might find something else outside academia. I knew for sure that I'm, going, I'm not going to be a permapost. I would call it you know, the way you call postdocs that stay forever. One of those that stay for eight years and do their postdocs forever. I knew that I'm going to limit my time in academia as a postdoc for up to three years. And that's it. If my nature paper is not coming out in three years, <laughs> that's time for me to move on. And that was also my agreement with my wife, which is also an important factor of how long you're willing to spend on your career, maybe hoping to get a permanent position somewhere, or maybe not, but you have to decide that it's time to move on and do something else. And after about two years, which was around the time where I interviewed for McKinsey, I knew that this is time to look for something else because McKinsey is not going to happen, and that's, that's fine with me. So I started actively looking for other options and working harder on my LinkedIn account, posting things regularly, and make, trying to make an impression out there and start looking for jobs more seriously. So what kind of jobs were you considering out of postdoc? Almost any research position. I was targeting companies that are at least 150 people because I knew that because of my visa status, I needed to find a company that could sponsor me with some kind of a work authorization. And usually startups are not capable of doing so. Yeah, so you found a company to sponsor your visa. So not, not a green card. Yes, I found a company uh, which was Zymergen. Actually, they found me. They found me on LinkedIn. And I wasn't even looking at their direction at the time. So and posting they worked. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked. And they asked me if I want to be a fermentation scientist. I thought, I'm not a fermentation scientist, but sure, why not? Eventually, I realized that I was actually am a fermentation scientist. I just didn't know that title existed. But they were willing to sponsor me for an O1 visa to come and work for them. Oh, wow, that's do you remember? Do you remember the job description? Either than fermentation scientist? Yeah, uh, or, no. or at least like how many, how many check marks could you put near the uh, job? 50%? I don't know, maybe 70% or so. That's also very important. There is yes. not a perfect fit when you look for a position, especially in the first position outside of academia. So you you were approached, but for all who are all the ones that are looking for a job, 70% is like it's it's awesome. 70% match is awesome. 30% is also very good. Yes. <laughs> I totally agree. Okay. Yeah, I was don't, lucky don't that <laughs> I was just lucky that the recruiter from that company was looking at my CV and knew how to read it better than I did to find That's those incredible. matches. So, yeah. can you can you give us a little bit of the details? So, what do you mean by fermentation scientist, and why did you think you were not, and eventually you are? <laughs> a fermentation scientist is a person who develops the process of fermentation for industrial fermentation. It could be bioreactors for liquid fermentation. It could be solid state fermentation. They decide on how the strains could be combined with the process itself, like controlling for the conditions of the fermentation process, for example, to produce or to maximize the yield of that process. In my background, doing my PhD, I did work with microbes, with bacteria. I tried to culture them, but never in reactors was always on plates, agar plates, some liquid cultures maybe. And the cultures I've been working with or the microbes were from sponges, from marine environment. I didn't study and I didn't work with industrial fermentation. I didn't even, as a scientist, fermentation for me is anaerobic respiration. But apparently from this, the industry point of view, anything that you culture, any bacteria is fermentation. doesn't matter if it's aerobic or anaerobic. So I just wasn't thinking in those terms. It's not the terminology that I had in my mind when someone said fermentation scientist, well, I'm not a fermentation scientist. Sure, I culture some stuff, but I developed new culturing conditions. But this is not fermentation. Well, apparently it <laughs> Academic is. Academic fermentation. Exactly. 
Yeah. So well, apparently it is, and apparently I am a fermentation scientist. I have, I have a very <laughs> important question at this point. How many steps are you away from a beer master? I used to brew beer back in Israel as a hobby with a friend of mine. I also brewed beer for my wedding and gave away bottles to the guests. Oh, that's so cool. Yep. So Can I, I have guess. your address? <laughs> sure. Better <laughs> yet, the, give him yours. <laughs> or just the bottles, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was a really good role and a very good match. The company, Zymergen, was roughly 1,000 employees at the time, which is awesome. I was, I'm just so happy that I had the opportunity to work there. I learned so much about the organizational culture there, which I'm taking with me today, how meetings are happening, how annual reviews are taking, when are they taking place and how interactions between different levels of management, many things. It's just, it was so good to work there. I learned so much. So you, so you, you saw working, a working corporate culture and mm -hmm. now you're in a smaller company that is working towards like building its corporate culture. So you think you're like, you're bringing, you see yourself as bringing stuff that you learn into the, into the, uh, the meeting rooms and yes. shape that. Yes, I think so. I'm not at a stage where I can influence that much, but whatever I can at my level, I definitely work towards implementing some of these things even some of the technical tools that I learned how to use back at Zymergen, I tried to apply that at Riffin. I'm trying to make that small change or whatever change I can make. So technical, technical scientific tools or technical like managerial tools? Managerial tools. Like what? Even just the type of software that we use to manage our projects, for example. We use a certain type of software. I think there's a better solution. I made a demo made my case to management and now it's up to them to decide if they want to implement it or not. But at least I can make that. So w would you think that might be a place for those uh, practices in academia? So you can, you can learn how to utilize it, how to, uh, to build a quote unquote company culture within a, a research lab. I think that PIs would benefit from having some experience outside academia because at the end of the day, most of their work is not necessarily the science. It's more about how to manage a small organization that does science. They might not even be the experts that their students need them to be in terms of the scientific questions and answers. For example, during my PhD, I did metagenomic studies. My advisor had no clue in this field at all. It was all about doing good management and helping me find the advisors that I need in that field to answer those questions. So he was a good manager and he's a good scientist, but not necessarily in that specific field that I needed. And that's fine. It's all about being a good manager, how to facilitate, how to develop the students and the researchers that you manage. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm reading now, I'm about to finish the, um, uh, a book about OKRs, Objective Key Results. This is the thinking that drove the success of Google and other like Intel and all kind of, of huge companies. And I'm thinking all, all along the book, it's almost like nine hours of audiobook. Uh, man, I could have used that, like start my PhD by defining, clearly defining the objective and have a quarterly key result to, to, to aspire to. That, that will improve things. Why aren't we using this? And I asked a couple of PIs and they, they said, okay, what? And uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a simple, like one simple principle. That's it. Even thinking back about that case interview that I mentioned, I think that's a tool that could be applied when you interview students for their PhD, for grad school. I think that's a very useful tool to see how a person thinks and evaluate his capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we hosted uh, uh, a couple of episodes ago uh, Christian Tidona from Biomedics in Germany, and he told us about his uh, interview process. They do great science. It's it's basically a limbo stage between academia and pharma, 
but they do a boot camp, five days. And by the end of this, they know who are the people they're hiring, character and scientific measure. And the people that are hired, they know themselves better under pressure. They are more aware of the capabilities the organization can contribute to them. And it's not just like a one-time like email or in day, one day interview for a postdoc that you fly halfway across the world and hope for, for the next five years to be awesome. <laughs> that sounds- yeah. And they develop really cool um, technology around the way. <laughs> so it's very No, their science is amazing. Yeah, you should, <laughs> everyone should follow them on LinkedIn because they post, uh, uh, first of all, the greatest science, science videos I've I seen on LinkedIn for the last year. Lot of fluorescent moving parts, but uh, yeah, he calls it beautiful science. Beautiful like science, yeah. So you, so you went to be a um, a scientist at um, at this company, Zamergen, right? Yeah. Um, and then, if I if I understood correctly, the the project you were working on uh, was shut down, right? Yeah, and then also COVID hit us at the same time, COVID nineteen, oh, and then. They decided to cut off uh, some branches, get a leaner structure, and I was laid off. And because of my O1 visa status, I had to find another sponsor within two months or leave the country. Oh, that sounds so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we all know how looking for a job is a job on its own. So I sat down and started working on my LinkedIn again and getting as many contacts as I can and look for a new job. I was actually lucky enough and I had two new offers within two weeks. So a lot of luck there, but also a lot of hard work chasing people around. I remember there's a cool story about how you find how you found it, right? There was a connection in, in Berkeley or something? In both of them, there was a kind of an interesting story. One of them, actually the one riffing, the one I took eventually, my boss at Zymergen told me that he knows someone there. And he thinks I'd be a good candidate for them because of my technical skills. And he reached out to them. And that's how I got to interview at Riffin. So that was one good contact. The other one with the other company, one of their founders is a researcher in the same building where I did my postdoc. So I reached out to him, told him or in the email I wrote that I think we know each other, that we met in one of the corridors maybe or one of the hallways. And I was looking at his company. I saw that they're hiring. And he said that he's, although he's the founder, he's not really involved in the hiring process, but I should reach out to their CEO and mention that he spoke with me. So I did that. That was the, the foot in the door. And mm-hmm. I started the interview process there as well. At the end, I had to choose between those two companies. Both of them gave me good offers. So this um, position you have now is quite different to to what you had before at Zymergen, right? So now you're, so you're working in a software company sort of uh, that develops this um, tool for managing um, labs, right? So first of all, obviously you were under pressure um, to choose a new position, but there were other things you were considering about this position, right? Yeah, correct. So in the other company that I was thinking about, the job there, the role was to manage their bioinformatics team, which is basically just myself because it was a really small startup. So the role there was really interesting and demanding. And as in many startups, we probably had to wear many hats, which is interesting. And this is the type of things that I like. But at the end of the day, it's doing science and doing bioinformatics, which I was pretty much used to. And at this point, I was looking to get more, to find or to learn more skills and enrich my skill set. And I was thinking that maybe in this other job at Riffin, I would get the chance to broaden my skills, to work with more clients, to do client-facing role, which I would probably not do in the first company, and manage my own projects, so gaining some project management skills. And eventually that's what happened. So I'm really happy that I took this opportunity, not the other one. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the interview process, what they were looking for? Because obviously... It's a very different position. Um, were they just looking for a scientist? That doesn't matter the background, but what else were they looking for? They were looking for a scientist that can communicate his thoughts and they communicate 
the process of the scientific work with others. For example, in this case, it would be customers, but it could also be software developers within the company that we need to discuss some features that we want to develop, for example. Mm-hmm. They wanted someone that has some experience in the industry that understands what the scientist in the lab experiences every day. Right? They want someone who can communicate and relate to the work that they, that's being done, that understands the needs of the scientist on the bench or behind the computer and can help them can take their problems and try to not exactly solve them, but alleviate maybe or make it a bit easier for them to transfer their processes from the way they've been doing it all these years to doing it in the Riffin system. So the, you're interviewed by uh, a scientist in, the, in Riffin or by, yeah? I was interviewed by the vice president for science and then by the rest of the science team. So all were scientists. So you mentioned that the jump you did from a fermentation scientist in Zymergen to the current role in Riffin was stepping out of your comfort zone. And you, you said you probably wouldn't take this step fresh out of academia. So in retrospective, is it a complete, like, complete insane move to do this kind of big jump if you're aware that like this is not this is something you're passionate about or you would recommend taking a step down taking a lower position to start with and build yourself i think it's important it was important for me of course this is uh, something that each individual will have to decide for themselves but it was important for me to start at a bit of lower position to learn more about the organizational culture in corporate America or uh, corporate in general. I think I learned a lot from my supervisors, from my colleagues at that company, and I'm happy that I did that. I did have another opportunity, another offer back in Israel, more of a managerial role, fresh out of postdoc, and that was a hard decision to make. The offer was really good and a really good company. But I'm happy with that decision to stay here, not because it's the United States, but just because of the opportunity to learn how a large organization operates. In this case, it's an organization with more than 1,000 employees at the time. At the end of the day, they just work in a different, in a different way. It's, it's a different vibe. It's a different organization. And you just learn so much from taking part in that. So do you have a, like a trajectory in mind? Sort of what are the skills you want to learn? What are the sort of directions you want to develop in? Or you sort of seize the opportunity in front of you and, and take the best out of it? I think mostly B. <laughs> but in general, I would aspire to go back to a more managerial role because I had some, some of that at Zymergen, although I stayed there for a very short time. So probably as far back to managerial roles. I know that I do miss scientific research, which I don't really do right now. I support others on their research, but eventually I think I will at some point transition back to more research-oriented roles, not necessarily the bench scientist, but something in between, maybe as a team leader or some sort, not necessarily being a CEO. It's more about being in touch with the science, the research, but also using those tools and soft skills that I learned along the way. And I want to have the opportunity to actually apply those. Yeah, no, it's interesting you say it because we're, I find myself, but also sort of people that I talk to are so worried that they're, like they're switching positions. So, you know, whatever they, the directions they were going in before is sort of lost and now they need to sort of think of a new direction. And it seems like from your experience, you sort of, you gather things along the way, but you can always sort of adjust and, and, and even go back to sort of the direction you were going in before, but just with much bigger, much bigger tool set. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's, it's great to keep your options open 
together as many skill sets as you can. Don't be, don't have a too narrow skill set. Don't just sit and do your, I want to say small research. It's not, it doesn't feel like small. It doesn't feel insignificant. It's always the most important thing that we do, whatever research that we're doing. But there's so much more out there and try to get a broader perspective. And it's not that complicated to switch fields. If you're a good researcher, if you have a good thinking mindset, you could switch back and forth for a very long time, as long as you want. You can always find something new to do and something that will interest you. It doesn't even have to be in the same company. It's not like 50 years ago when someone worked at a company for 50 years until they retire. These days, it's more open. It's easier to transition and keep yourself uh, with interest. So you mentioned a team lead or leadership skills that you had some experience, you're slowly building it up and implementing uh, a corporate culture and startup culture and building your leader, your managerial or leadership personality. Just us three here, okay? Nobody's listening. Your postdoc experience, those are three long and extensive years. Why aren't we, and, and I, I say we, because we, it seems that all of us are in this together. Why aren't we using this to develop leadership skills? We have, we're postdocs, supposed to be more experienced. We're a bit older. We have more responsibility in the lab. And there are, there are PhD students. There is a sort of seniority in the lab. Why are we using this time to build up leadership skills? Why do you think like a university doesn't offer more courses about leadership and team management? And even if you're going to be a PI, by the way, you should have those skills. Nobody prepares you to that. It goes back to what you said earlier or your question about if PIs would benefit from having experience outside academia. And the answer is yes. And I think just directly translates to that. If, for example, a PI would have had that experience and would learn how to build leadership because they experienced that on their own, they would also invest the time and the efforts to build those leadership skills with their students because there needs to be some mentorship in order to teach someone how to be a leader, how to manage. You have to sit down with them, give them feedback on how they're doing things, how they build their own students that they supervise and if those PIs don't have that experience they don't know how to approach it they would probably even think that this is not something important that they should invest time in they just don't see it because although they are managers they never learned how to manage they did their postdoc like everyone else got the job sank right into research because they have five years to get tenure and that's it yeah, but again, it goes it goes back to the question why there is no arranged coursework or mentorship program during your postdoc. Because even even if you get a mentor, or senior mentor, it's after you get hired. So you get offered a position as a PI, and then you get mentored. That's might be a bit too late. And and we we're very talented, and we're we're like we're working mm-hmm. like full speed going forward, doing like five projects at a time. This is the time to learn, not like when you're already hired and, and the anxiety is so high and your lab work is in the hands of others. Uh, to me, I don't know, it's, it's like an open question, right? So it's not, I'm, I kind of expect you to answer everything now, but uh, no. Yeah. Yes, Adi, uh, if, <laughs> if you can. Adi, please fix academia for us. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think you're totally right. It should, it should work. Uh, it should be better. It's better than it is right now. I like my experience at UCSF. I like it personally because my PI, I think he got some experience and then and then you can see his managerial skills are are a bit different than what I uh, I, I hear all around us. And I saw it, especially in the last year through uh, COVID nineteen, which I can't, I can't be, I can't speak more highly of him and uh, what he has done for us, all of us. Okay, everything. Can you tell us like a bit a cool, like a cool scientific project you supported recently, or it's like 
company secret. We can sign an NDA between ourselves. Nobody really. It's a <laughs> cool project. And there are so many. Something that, like you said, something that you thought, like I might just go with them. I think the other way, the other way to look at it is sort of what, sort of what was your role, sort of, um, sort of how you contributed to to this project, or sort of how do you see yourself, like your role in in progressing those projects. I had, for example, one project with a company from San Diego, which is a startup with a cool product that I can't really specify on. And it's a car, it's a company that, although they're a startup, they have, I, I think they're going to have a prototype soon. And it seems like a really cool company with a cool concept, but their data was kind of messed up all over the place, you know, lots of Excel files and whatnot. And we helped them or I helped them to consolidate that data into our system and try to put some order within that, mess of data and get things done faster and easier to get the analysis done faster and easier. And it's really cool to see how some processes that they thought they're very complex after sitting with me and after working with our software system, they suddenly see that, well, actually this is not so complex as we thought it is. It's actually quite simple. We can do this very easily and very fast. And it's not just the, the software itself, it's the process of sitting with someone outside the company and discussing those things with a fellow scientist that makes them you know, see the light, you, know, you might say, just, just realizing that things could be done in a different way. And it was really fun for me to go with them, to, to do that process with them. And maybe another project is there was another company that potential customer that was interested in our software system and because they come, their requirements are kind of back in my alley of next, ger next generation sequencing, I did the demo for them. I build the processes, I build the system that they would then see as the demo when we pitched it to them. And they were very, very happy and very enthusiastic about that demo. And it seems that they're going to sign up with us. So that was really good feeling of accomplishment when we got the email from them saying that we want to move forward with you and we like what we saw. So these are two recent projects that I was involved in. So it sounds fun. You get to see quite a lot of companies, right? A lot of companies, international companies, have meetings sometimes at 6 a.m. with clients from Europe and many from <laughs> the East Coast, West Coast, different fields in biology, you know, from fermentation, bioprocesses, a bit of chemistry, R&D labs, production, and multi-million companies, small startups, all over the place. Very nice people all, all over. Yeah. And we were talking earlier that this also sort of helps you to build your, your network. And I guess next time you'll be looking for a job, you'll, you'll know much more sort of what is in the market and what, what options are there for you. Yeah. And also just because I switched fields, during my PhD, my master's, my bachelor's, my postdoc, and switch between different fields in biology, it's really helpful when I work with these customers because with almost everyone, I know at least a bit about what they're doing. For example, one of the companies that I've been working with now, uh, my experience in my master's, which was around uh, myocyte cells in mice, totally not related to microbiology, is very similar to what they're doing. So I can relate to the science that they're doing and understand what they're trying to do and how they do it, about the methods, about the, the chemistry, about the devices that they use. So we have an easier conversation. We have common language. It's amazing that you get to see so many different aspects or different scientific ventures going on. So in your opinion, like what is the hot topic to follow and industry in 2022 and probably if you have stock options no never mind <laughs> <laughs> well as a fermentation scientist as well i'm still wearing that hat i think that everything around fermentation alternative foods alternative meat for example uh, fermented foods in general i think that's the hot topic i see not necessarily through riffin just keeping an eye out there I see quite a few startups in that vertical. And I think that's, I know that's a, it's a hot topic. I think it's going to go even bigger in the next few years. 
If you're interested in fermentation, I uh, highly recommend go back to episode number 21, where we interviewed the wonderful Tal Zeltzer, uh, CTO of um, Phyoton, where they uh, they do um, food coloring. Um, very, very exciting um, company. And she's um, amazing. And we really enjoyed talking to her. So recommend that. <laughs> we didn't coordinate it, though. <laughs> but it's fun. So ID, let's say I'm, uh, I recently finished a postdoc and I'm looking for a job. Give us sort of, I don't know, four or five steps that it, you think I should do in order to find a good job. First, improve your LinkedIn profile. That's super important. Use that as an expanded resume, if you wish, to write everything that you can fit in those two or three pages of CV or resume. One page, no? Um, it depends. There are different aspects or different uh, approaches to that. Uh, one person, one career counselor told me that she prefers to have as many pages as I want. Just put everything in there, everything that's relevant, of course, not your high school grades. That doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but whatever that you have in there, even your publication list, everything, just put it in there. She will screen it and she'll take whatever she wants out of it. Some other companies, for example, those uh, management consulting companies would like to have a one-pager. So it, really, it varies. But your LinkedIn page is really important. And I would also suggest try to post at least one post every week. The way I did was to read, find something in the news related to my field or something that you're interested in, put a link there, and also write a few sentences about what's your opinion, what's your take on it. So people would see that you have an opinion. You're not just reposting stuff. And you just gain traction that way. And I think that's important. That's Another good. thing is try to gather more than 500 people contacts on your LinkedIn account. That's the magic number because after 500, it doesn't show the number anymore. It just says 500 plus, And that's something. And I also you're think, <laughs> yep, you're popular. I mean, you're, you're kind of a hub, right? People know you. You know many people. And, and that's important. And I also think, I'm not convinced about that, but I think that the algorithm, LinkedIn algorithm behaves differently if you have more than 500. Your exposure increases. Yeah. So that's also, also, you need to be sort of, uh, when you make a search, uh, people on your sort of first and second and third level will be sort of, uh, they will show it to you and, you, and you'll be, um, you're able to connect to them. And people that are outside of that network, they just don't see you. So if a recruiter looks for, you know, a fermentation scientist, but you're not in his sort of third level, uh, he's just not going to see you. So as many people as you have, the better, the the more sort of search results you'll come up in. After I left Zymogen, or after I was laid off from, from Zymogen, I wrote a post on LinkedIn and the exposure was amazing. And I got so many people reaching back to me actually offering me to talk with them, they might have some thing or some good options for me. So that was amazing. Yeah. The power of LinkedIn really worked for me. Yeah. So, I remember that post. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good sign. Uh, yeah, so LinkedIn is really important. Reach out to people. Connection, personal connections are always good. And that's probably how you're going to lay or get your first job. And mm. Mostly through connections. People not very often get a job off of LinkedIn. Yeah, I was kind of the exception to this rule, maybe. Talk to people, talk to your PI. They might know people in the industry. My supervisor, my PI, actually offered some names and she also said she'll ask around and she was very supportive. So that's another good option. Go to professional meetups. There might be some in your area. And these days it's even easier through Zoom. It's worth your time. You never know who you're going to meet there. What do you mean by meetups? So because I was a bioinformatician, there was a bioinformatician meetup for bioinformatician specialists from academia mm -hmm. and industry. And they met once a month in San Francisco. Every time it was hosted by another facility. One time it was at the Illumina company. Another mm -hmm. time it was at a startup hub. Right. And we just gathered. There was some lectures. There was a socialing event, Mixer. It's a good time to 
bring up or make your network. And networking is the most important thing. You never know where the next opportunity will come from. Never. You just mention it to someone who's totally unrelated and they know someone who knows someone and bam, you have a job offer. It's important to remember that it's shown that most positions are not even advertised. Mm -hmm. It's just like exactly from that. I know someone who can be a perfect fit. Let's see. The other day, I spoke with a friend of a friend who asked me about the process of finding a new job. She's someone, she's working in the software industry. And just while talking to her, I saw a sticker that I had on my laptop. And that sticker was for a startup company that a friend of mine started. And I thought, well, actually, you know what? Maybe they're looking for someone. And she looked up their name and they were hiring. And now she's interviewed at that company. So maybe that will work for her. So you never know. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I think these are all very, very useful advice. And I, I think we're sort of so stuck in the idea that, um, you know, you have to plan your your journey and you have to to make everything perfect. You talked about sort of ticking off all the boxes. You never tick off all the boxes. You need to to come to terms with that, that there is going to be something that you bring to, the, to this job that they are looking for. And there are going to be some gaps that you're going to, learn and, and, and do new things that you didn't do before. And um, I think the the way you describe it, the, the way sort of, you know, in each job, you sort of brought something and you learned something. And I think it's, it's fantastic and it's building a great career. So congrats. And I'm really uh, happy you. <laughs> you came here to share, <laughs> to share it with us. Um, I know you're also um, a bit on Facebook. So I, I invite um, our listeners to ask questions about your journey and um, I'm sure you, you can help sort of um, think about different ways to, uh, to, to build this career and sort of network and, and so on um, on Macademia Group. And uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Yeah, it's been amazing. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.